Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Thank you, Charles, for reading. It's been a couple years now, but I still remember it pretty well. Someone asked me if I wanted to go mountain biking, and so I said, definitely. I was thinking, like, I know how to ride a bike. I've been riding a bike for a long time, and yet I had never really done, kind of officially done mountain biking. And so someone, the person who invited me, gave me all the gear that I would need, so I felt like I looked the part even if I didn't have a lot of confidence in what I was doing. And so we started riding, and the person who, you know, had invited me for the ride is very polite, probably took it very, very slow for me, but it felt like the incline was just a tad more steep than I anticipated. And so I kept riding around, and I'm sure I was sweating partly out of terror and partly because I was out of shape. And I was white-knuckling that bike, and I realized two important things that day. One is that I needed to invest in a better helmet. That became very important to me. I will not ride again until I get a, a new helmet, a better helmet. And the second thing was I never want to ride a mountain bike where the brakes are iffy. Like, I will never do that. Like, I want a brake check, and I want to make sure they work really well because just kind of seeing over the side, I don't, I don't want to take any chances there. The stakes are, are high, and it meant I better pay attention to the equipment I have if I want to participate in that activity. Actually, I thought about that when it comes to Ephesians 6, because I am a follower of Jesus, as I know many of you are, and I am relying on the message that God has rescued the world through the work of Jesus Christ. We sung about that a moment ago. And because I am following Jesus Christ, Ephesians 6, the passage that Charlie just read, said, I'm in a battle. We are in a battle. And if we enter this arena, the equipment that we have for this battle becomes very, very important. It's worth making sure that we, we are properly equipped and ready for this struggle for review, last week we began this series in Ephesians 6, looking through the fight that we're in and the armor that we have. We actually looked at a passage and we asked four questions. I just want to review them for a moment. The first question was this, where are we? Where are we? And we recognized, according to verse 12, we are in a struggle 
We are wrestling. We are in a battle. Where are we? We are in a battle, and it's not against humans, not against flesh and blood. It's against evil forces, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. And we spent some time thinking about a very specific question, and that is, where does the battle meet you? So we can identify a generic battle that's going on out there, but I wanted to actually identify personally and individually, where does the battle meet you? Where does it get personal and real for you? Where is it harder for you today, right now, to have joy or to rely on the Lord more or to do what He says, to obey Him or to be devoted to Him or to trust Him or to show your expression of love to Him? Where is that harder? Where is the battleground? Because sometimes it's a a longer-term battle and sometimes it's just a surprise battleground. And sometimes it's self-induced, and other times it's what others cause us. And sometimes it's something health-related, and sometimes it's private, and sometimes it's public. But where is that battleground? Where is it meeting you? We spent some time here last week. I asked you to identify some, again, identify personal battlegrounds where it's harder for you to have joy, harder for you to hope and not fall into despair, harder for you to trust and rely, harder for you to obey, to 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 worship the Lord. Where is that battleground for you? And maybe even this morning, maybe that battleground got very real because the battleground became, I know the songs are going on, but I'm not sure I can sing those because all is not well in my heart. Or maybe as you reflect back to what is hard for you, maybe you could take me to a cemetery where it is very, very difficult and very, very painful because you lost someone that mattered to you and you still haven't quite figured out how to move on or even just move through life without that person. Or maybe it's a, a, a sin or a human condition that begins to press on you. Maybe it's uh, lust or anxiety, and it begins to press and press. And you've you promised God you'll do better. You've promised you'll try harder, and you keep working on it, but it still doesn't seem like you're gaining much progress. And maybe victory in this area is for others, but not for you, and you begin to wonder. Or maybe it's even a good pursuit, a hobby, an activity that by itself is, is great. And maybe it's an activity for kids, but but you find yourself, the more you spend time on it, the, the less you're around and less you really even have space to have interaction with the people of God. Or maybe it's pressure at work that just keeps going and going. And at first it seemed like, okay, got a little like busy season, but now the busy seasons become like the busy life that has no future and uh, of, of kind of dialing back. Or maybe you look in the mirror and you don't know how it happened, but you, the person you see there and the person you know God sees is a person who's angry and resentful and keeping scores and becoming very, very bitter. Or maybe as you think about pain and aging and caregiving, you're exhausted. Or maybe you walk in this room and the battleground is you care so deeply for your kids or your grandkids or that niece or that nephew or that person that matters so much to you beyond just like the normal care all parents feel or all grandparents feel. Maybe you feel it to another level. And you go, I just don't know how this is going to go. We are locked in a battle. I don't know where it meets you, but I'm quite confident all of us are are wrestling through and all of us have our own series of battlegrounds. We had 
not just words that kind of get our attention like that, but we have words of hope, not just words that are, are like, it's, it's a hard life, but words of hope. And we asked other questions. And one of those questions was, who is on our side? And we reminded ourselves, the, the Lord is on our side. The Lord is with us and for us, so much so that he gave us equipment. What has the Lord given us? He has given us his armor. And with that armor, we're going to look at a piece of that today. What are we called to do? We are called to be strengthened, to be strong in the Lord, and to stand, to stand firm. The armor will help us do just that. We're going to go, Lord willing, piece by piece through this armor. And the first piece of armor is the belt of truth. The first piece of armor that will help us stand, we're told in verse 14, is make sure you fasten on the belt of truth. Make sure you belt up with truth. Two main things are on my mind this morning, okay? So one of those is that we actually appreciate and understand what we're talking about when we think of the belt of truth. What are we talking about? Because clearly there is some figurative language. We're not going to hand out belts in the lobby as you leave. So clearly there's some figurative language here. What does it mean to fasten on, to belt up with truth? And then second of all, like, how do we actually do that? So what, what do we mean by truth and the belt of truth? What's going on there? And then how do we actually do that? How do we put that on? It's worth spending uh, just a second to appreciate the function of the belt in the Roman armor because we might see belts more as an accessory. But in that day when you needed to move and you had a long flowing robe or a tunic it made sense that you would kind of draw that up, especially if you were in battle and you needed to be agile and be able to pivot. It makes sense that you would pull that up and you would pull that up, kind of belt up so that you would be able to fight, able to defend yourself, able to take it to the enemy if you needed to. So that's the picture. And the scripture says you will need a belt of truth because you're living in a dangerous world. Fiery darts from the evil one are coming at you. You have an enemy. You have a wicked one. Jesus would give him this label, the father of lies. He would tell us the truth, and that is, Jesus would tell us the truth about this wicked one, that he comes to wreak havoc on life. He comes to do nothing but steal, kill, and destroy, and that's his game plan. And if that weren't enough, you're also in a hostile environment because you are living in the world, the world that is systematically opposed to the rule and reign of Jesus. You face the world. There are going to be lies that come at you because you live in a system that is under, under the enemy, under the evil one. There are going to be half-truths that will tempt you to believe the half-truth or believe the lie or believe the false narrative. And there's going to be, those same things are going to cause you to doubt whether God can be trusted, whether he's true. As a Christian, you face the enemy. You face the world, and you also face your own flesh. I face my own flesh. So my mind and my heart, I'd like to say, I'll just always follow my heart. But how many places, that, that, that's got me into some places that I, I never should have been in. Or I will just kind of reason and, and, and just kind of do whatever my mind tells me. But how many times have I looked back and gone, that was so ignorant, that was so foolish. I have flesh that I struggle. And even sometimes when the my mind and my heart give me the right diagnosis, the right description. Sometimes it makes awful prescriptions. So in light of that, you need help or you will be mowed down. And that's why the Lord, who is on your side, says, here, this is going to help you. 
Here's the belt of truth. Put it on. When we think of the belt of truth, if you start with a dictionary definition of truth, you're going to get something like this. Truth is in accordance with reality. You're going to get lots of like fact and reality when you find dictionary definitions of truth, the actual state of a matter, an adherence to reality, an indisputable fact. It's going to be the descriptions of truth. It's just a great starting point. But another important place would be, let's go to the Bible and see how the word translated truth or true, what is the meaning, what are the connotations we're supposed to have? We need to know what this belt of truth is. And so as we think of truth, in Old Testament scripture, truth would be Consider that which is faithful, that which would give you stability, that which is reliable, that which will support your life. This is truth. And sometimes you have to describe, you have to describe something in terms of what it's not. Sometimes that's the way you best get a, a description. And, and we actually get some of that in the Old Testament as well. It's accurate and it's not deceitful. It's not in error or wrong It's genuine, not false, not a lie. That is truth. But Ephesians also gives us another window into exactly when Paul says, take on the belt of truth. That's not the first time he's used the word truth in this letter that he penned to the Ephesians. He's actually used it several times in the letter, and it makes sense to me that we pay attention to how he used it before we even get to Ephesians 6 to figure out, okay, how is he using it in that same letter to understand how is he using it now? Actually, the first place that you will read Paul talk about truth when it comes to the believers in Ephesians is Ephesians 1 and 13. Ephesians 1, 13. I want, you to, I want you to notice what Scripture says there. Paul writing says, in him, meaning in Jesus Christ, you, the Ephesian believers, and I think we can extend it even to us, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the statement of truth, like when you heard that word of truth, and he describes it again, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. Where does the truth come from? Where does the word of truth come? Where does the statement of truth come from? And and actually, Scripture is going to tell us again and again, truth doesn't come as like American culture constructs it in 2021. That's not where truth comes from. Truth comes from God. God communicates it. God reveals it. He is the source of truth. We didn't all just kind of make it up. Christians a long time ago didn't just make it up. Truth has come from an almighty, all-powerful God who has revealed himself. He has communicated reality and has told us exactly what the truth is. And that truth is so universal and so absolute that every person, every generation, every ethnicity, every nationality is held to account by that truth that God has revealed, the reality that God has created. But what I find so fascinating about Ephesians 1.13 is it says, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, you believed in him. It doesn't say you believed it. But now truth becomes not just a proposition or a statement, it becomes personal. You believed in him. So as much as the truth is a statement, the word of truth, the truth is also a person, which makes a lot of sense as you read the book of John. 
John says, when Jesus came, he was full of grace and truth. John 14, 6, Jesus makes this bold claim. He says, I am the truth. And when he's on trial for his life in front of Pilate, he says, everyone on the side of truth, in John 18, listens to me. Truth is personal. So if we put it together, we have the word of truth and we have the gospel of our salvation. We put it together like this. The ultimate, genuine, reliable expression of reality is the love of God and the accurate and awful and indisputable fact is that we are sinners incapable of saving ourselves. That is truth. And yet the truth also is that God provided for us what we never could do for ourselves. And that is rescue us, make salvation for us in the cross. And the announcement that we can be saved, the, the gospel of our salvation is that we have been rescued. That's exactly what we need and we couldn't earn it. We never would deserve it. That is the word of truth completely wrapped up in Jesus. And what is, what is amazing to me is the person who is writing this word, talking to the Ephesian believers, saying, you heard this word of truth and you believed in him. The one who is writing that is the Apostle Paul who did not always believe that was the truth. If you go on a sketch of Paul's life, he didn't always believe this. Paul didn't grow up in a culture where twice a year they gave lip service by Christmas and Easter to Jesus, you know, being born and Jesus rising from the dead. He did not grow up in that culture. As a matter of fact, Paul actually grew up into adulthood being very convinced that anyone who worshipped Jesus was misguided at best, more, more accurately dangerous, and needed to be shut down. That is what Paul, who wrote these very words about the truth being in Jesus. That is what he thought at one point in time. Paul knew exactly who Jesus was, a Jew who had lived in Palestine. But as far as Paul thought, that man, Jesus, has been crucified. And any sort of thought, any sort of thought that God had changed the world through him should actually be shut down and silenced. He had no time for it you won't be more skeptical about the claims of Jesus than he was. He didn't believe it. He didn't trust it. And that all changed one day when God interrupted his life and Jesus personally appeared to Paul. Paul documents that again and again. Paul came face to face with the truth. Jesus spoke to him. And that so changed his life, that he says now everything has to line up with this reality that that man is not crucified, dead, in a grave, never to be heard of, but that man is alive and he's powerful and can interrupt travel from Jerusalem to Damascus. That changed everything for Paul and he couldn't talk about it enough. He couldn't write it about it, uh, about it enough. He couldn't pour out his life encouraging people, you need to know the truth, you need to know that forgiveness is available from God through Jesus Christ. Redemption comes through his blood. There is an inheritance that you can have sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The truth propelled him to go to Ephesus and 
for years there and many other places he would share, he would tell them the good news. And, and this is what happened in Ephesus. One person believed and then another and then another and then another. They all had encounters with this man, Jesus, who has risen and reigning. They all had encounters, not, not a vision like Paul had, but they all had encounters that this is the truth. He's alive, he rules, he reigns. It corresponds to reality. I say all that to ask a very, very important question of you here this morning, because I don't know where everybody is. And my question is, is all of this about Jesus dying on the cross, rising from the dead, coming into this world, living a perfect life, is all that just a, a nice story from you? Is, for you? Is Jesus more like an inspirational figure like Gandhi or Mother Teresa who yeah, maybe left a sacrificial example to be followed? Or do you recognize he is the reigning Lord of the universe. In him, everything, as, as Wayne was reminding us, everything holds together in him. We bow the knee to him. If you have not yet believed, has this man who has risen from the dead, has he come to you? Is the truth becoming clearer? Because here, here we all sit, here we all are. We're, we're hard workers and we're slackers and we're worriers and we're stable and we're introverts and we're extroverts and, and we're gullible and we're discerning and we, we have all these different sort of human qualities, but this is the truth, this is the reality that God has sent his one and only son and we are accountable to him. And the truth is that God has come for people just like you. God has come for people just like you. Grace is for you. And if that belief right now is more casual than real, if it's been kind of a nice story but never something you've given your life to, then I would just urge you, like, let's not walk out of those doors without having a conversation with somebody. Maybe it's the friend who brought you, or maybe it's, it's one of the pastors here, but let's not walk out. If God is encountering you in the person of Jesus, why would you kind of go, I think I'll deal with that later. I would urge you, don't do that. So truth comes in the form of a person, the ultimate reality. But in Ephesians, it goes to another level. Truth has impacted those who believe in Jesus. It's impacted us to another level. I want you to notice the extreme contrast that Paul is going to create between who you formerly were and then the change that that truth has made and the, and the the change that truth should continue to make. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul paints this picture, and I want you to listen for the word truth to come up a, a few times again. Paul could say this to a church much like ours. He would say, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you no longer need to walk as the Gentiles or as the pagans do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened. They're they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to, every practice, every, to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. And notice there's the word, as the truth is in, again, not, not even just the statement, but in Jesus you heard what truth? The truth to put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life, 
Christians are meant to look different. Put off that which has been corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. A new self created after the likeness of God in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. Truth is now invading every portion of our life, recreating us. We're not what we once were. We're not the same. Everything is changing. Everything is changing. Because... Because you believe the truth, actually the Holy Spirit of truth comes inside of you and changes you from the inside out. Begins to go to work on all the lies and half-truths and errors that we believe. And that makes us a different person. And our life flowing out of that, it looks very different. There's a few other places in Ephesians where Paul talks about truth. In Ephesians 4, 15, and it really is a lifestyle, he says, This is what we ought to be doing. We ought to be living in a way and speaking the truth, living our lives in such a way, speaking the truth in love and growing up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Ephesians 4.25, let's put away any sort of falsehood. No, but let's, each one of you speak with truth with his neighbor. We're members of one of another, Ephesians 5.9. Here's the life we live. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. I want you to see in Ephesians especially that if you're a Christian, it means you've encountered the truth that's in Jesus. The good news that you've believed and now you're being changed by the truth so that your life, your life can show the truth. So then Paul says, okay church, so let's belt up with truth. But how do we actually do that? I'd like to just spend some time thinking through that, okay? How do we actually belt up with truth? There, there are more ideas than you or I know what to do with when it comes to belting up. What, what does that actually mean? And is it some sort of mantra you recite 6 a.m. every morning? I hereby belt up with truth for this day. If it's not that, what is it? Is this basically code language to say, better read your Bible more? Which is always a good idea. Always a good idea. But, but is that the way, the primary way, a way, one of many ways to belt up with truth? What can I consciously do to honor what Paul says here? I think there's a lot of different things that could be helpful. I just want to take us down two paths, okay, before we're done to think through how do we, how do we belt up with truth? The first path is this, so stick with me. A, a few, I don't, I don't know, it was probably a couple of years ago, I remember listening to a podcast and it was on getting organized with your life and making sure like everything didn't just stay up in your brain, but you got it out on paper so that you could act on it. And so I remember listening to the podcast and it was about a 30 minute, what, what the, the host of the podcast was calling a mind sweep, a mind sweep to go through like all sorts of categories, and he would ask questions. What about this? What about... The only unhelpful thing is, like, I was driving when I was listening to it, so I couldn't write down anything safely. Uh, But in some ways, it seemed like an overwhelming exercise, because, I mean, he was going, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Think about this. Think about this. Do you need to do big stuff, small stuff, family stuff, work stuff, life stuff, like things that matter for eternity, things that matter for the next two minutes, things I shouldn't be thinking about, things I ought to be, all that to try to process that. And I wonder today if it would be helpful to do a mind sweep, a heart sweep, 
when it comes to how we process truth. Don't worry, it's not going to take 30 minutes. I, I say I think we need to do some sort of mind sweep or heart sweep because I could say, what lies are you believing right now that you need to stop? That's kind of a tricky exercise, right? Because if you thought it was a lie, you wouldn't believe it. What half-truth, half what false narrative are you buying into? Well, I don't know. I mean, I only know that in the rearview mirror of going, now that was a dumb thing to think when I was 15 years old. But, but I mean, how do you know that in the moment? If it's a lie, I'm not going to believe it, right? I, I mean, that's, that's at least kind of where I approach this. So could it be that lies don't come packaged as lies in a moment you believe they're true? So maybe it would be a better approach to go, okay, Let's just ask a series of questions to think, what's got my attention? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Because those things do impact how I see the truth, what I think is real, what I think is accurate. So can I ask several questions? And I, I'm going to tell you they're going to be a tad invasive. It isn't to make you or me, anyone, overly suspicious, but just to see, okay, what's there? And some of those you're going to answer and go, yeah, it's easy. And some are, you're going to kind of move on from, and others may stick with you a little while. And I want you to answer honestly. I mean, God's watching, so God knows what's going on in your head. So don't answer this as if, like, the answers that the pastor really wants to hear. I don't think that would do you any favors. And what I'm going to try to do is get these on the website, ogletown.org battleground by tonight or tomorrow. Uh, where we're trying to put some of these resources. So don't worry if you get them, don't get them all down, but, but just kind of take some things in, all right? So can I, can I do a mind sweep, a heart sweep here? What are the things that you're reading or doing daily, or at least pretty, pretty regularly? Things that you're reading or doing daily that shape what you believe to be true. Things that you would say, I'm never going to miss that. I'm always going to read articles by that person. I'm always going to check the news at this particular place. I'm always going to, I'm always going to check the sports. I'm going to shop almost every single day. I'm going to see what deals are out there. I'm going to, like, what, what kinds of things? How much time do you spend in the Bible with that? How much time is on social media scrolling? And then another, who, who are the voices that you know you need to have in your life? And are you hearing regularly from them? What are some of those voices, the faithful friends, the wise counselors? How much exposure do you give them? Is it more or less than maybe, let's say, six months ago, two years ago? And when you do scroll, the, the infinity scroll that is almost every website that we can find these days, do you realize that you're absorbing a narrative of life? And what does that narrative tell you? I mean, you're, you're kind of checked out. You're just scrolling, but if you really were checked in, what is that? What is it telling you? What story is it telling you? What would it tell you about yourself? What would it tell you about the world? Are there, are there new influences in your life? Are there new friends? Are there new coworkers, neighbors that are, are having loud voices in your life? And what influence are they having on you? Probably good to check that. How are you handling sin is it a fight anymore? Do you remember the last time you actually struggled against it or in a, in a fight against your flesh or has it been a long time since that's happened? How about your conscience? Is your conscience sensitive? Is it calloused? Is it pinging occasionally, a lot, never? 
Are there things you're doing now that in the past you would have said, I, I, that's wrong, I won't do that. But here you are, you're, you're doing it now. And what was the change? Is that change all right? What motivated that change? What voices have you written off recently? I'm not going to listen to them anymore. I don't have time for that. If that's the way they're going to be, I'm not going to pay attention to that anymore. Is that a good thing? Is that an okay thing? Is that a bad thing? What are your feelings driving right now? Are they pointing you to the truth? Do they get in the Philippians 4, 8 realm, honorable, just, pure, lovely? Are you dwelling on those things or are your feelings taking you to some other places? Because it's not always, man, it's not always about the head. A lot of times we are so driven by our feelings and our heart. A big question to me is who gets unfiltered, uncritical access, or at least mostly into my head, into my heart. By that I mean like if I had to list five or ten voices that I trust, like I'm going to read them and I'm not, I'm not, defenses are down, I'm not going to be too critical, I'm just going to read them because I think they, they generally steer me in the right direction. Who are those? Is it okay? Am I sure they're for the truth? And if I find myself being a little bit defensive, I don't know, but I get some good things. Is that okay? What about sources of entertainment? Books, movies, shows, podcasts, things you're learning, games. I mean, do you ever question what's going on there, how you're absorbing that, that story that made you cry? Is it a, a kind of a false narrative that painted a real glamorous picture of sin? And didn't tell you the story that you know to be true, and that is, man, sin just messes everything up. And you begin to be moved in your heart, but you go, I don't, I, but man, that story's so compelling. Are there half-truths? What about the people that are filled with just all sorts of gossip and negative words? How, how have they begun to press on me how I see the world? And what is my actual time, if I had to quantify it, what is my actual time digesting the truth of the Bible? reading, listening, meditating. I'm not trying to be legalistic, but is it, what is that time? And do, does a personal Bible study, does, is that a place where I'm encountering truth or does a group Bible study or a class, am I being exposed to truth? Is it pushing me deeper into my faith or is it, am I staying on the surface? I mean, in a worship service, am I, am I, am I letting my heart be drawn to the truth of what I'm singing and what I'm hearing? Or am I just kind of going through the motions, not really responding at all? I could ask, and I feel like I could ask questions all day like this, but I at least want you to be alert, and I want me to be alert to the inputs that are going into our head and our heart, what we're thinking, what we're seeing, what we're processing, because all of that, give it time, all of that's going to shape how you see truth. And all that is so much more than even just reading a book or looking at an article, do you realize that? So much more comes into our head and in our heart. So I, I think through that, like that heart sweep, and maybe ask Linger into some of those questions. And then the other thing that may help you as far as thinking, okay, how do I fasten on the belt of truth? Or maybe a few just portable questions that we're going to take to the battleground wherever we are. So the battleground that you face, that you can identify the battleground that makes like walking with Jesus harder for you. 
Here's just four questions. I, I do think they're, they'll be portable. You can kind of slow the pace, sit with the Lord, prayerfully work through them, maybe jot them down, getting more intentional about it. I, I'm going to ask and answer these kinds of questions. So in this battleground, what is the truth about God? What is the truth about God in this battleground? So again, I'm taking my battleground and going, I need to find the truth. And you go, well, Curtis, I am so like buried and my head is in such a fog and my heart seems to just not be in a good place and go, that's why God gave you brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's like work together on this toward these answers. What is the truth about me? What what is the truth about myself in this? I mean, I, I need to do some hard work to go, what's going on here? And what has God said about me in this? What's the truth? What's reality there? What's reality when it comes to others? Because maybe your struggle isn't so much internally, but it's more like, what has God said about them? How has God identified this situation? What's the truth there? What's the truth about the world that we live in? If my battleground isn't even like interpersonal relationships, it just seems like the system of brokenness that we find ourselves living in. What is the truth about the world? Because here's what I, I know is you need reality and facts in answering these questions. You need things that are reliable and accurate. You don't need like 1% deception or error or things that are wrong. You need what is genuine, not false, not a lie. You need, you need the belt of truth. You need others even speaking the truth in love to you. So church, you're called to be strengthened and to stand firm in your battle. And the Lord who is on your side, if you are in Christ, has said, here, you'll need this. It's the belt of truth. Put it on, fasten it, because you are in a battle. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his help. Father, thank you for the reminder here. Our hearts can, even right now, we can be wrestling with deception and half-truths and false narratives. So I pray in this moment where there may even be a battleground right now that you would give help and strength. We're grateful, even as we sing in a moment, that you are our fortress. So where the battle feels very, very real and the stakes seem very, very high, help us all to know that we find refuge and strength in you. Thank you that you are on our side. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.